You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 8. The Visitor. Alone in the hotel now, I put everything I had with me on the bed. My new blue cold weather coat with the stone spring paneling, already damaged. My Stetson and the Cappy Cap. My leather shoulder bag, rescued from Steamheart by Harry, moments before her prized creation was destroyed. My well-thumbed cartographer's handbook, the inner front page adorned with those precious signatures. My survival kit, including what first aid supplies I could purloin from Spearhead. A water canteen, now nearly empty. I had no government-issue firearms since my shotgun burned up back at Green Hollow, and I had deliberately avoided requisitioning any new ones in the interim months. Hadn't needed to kill anyone. Hadn't wanted to, neither. Back in a drawer in my house in Washington sat a pair of silver pistols. And I suddenly began to panic, thinking about Gerald, the man to whom I had given my key and told to take adequate payment for his horse. They were as good as gone now. A small amount of food remained at the bottom of my bag, along with a pair of novelettes. One about Harry, the Marvel mechanic, and the other about Captain Annie Oakley, Miss America. I gazed at the photograph of her on the front, standing proud with a rifle, keen-eyed, determined, morally forthright. It was all a bunch of bunkum. A voice from the corner announced. I jumped internally and my eye flicked across to take in the figure. It was Annie, very clearly standing there, smiling at me sadly across the gulf between us. There you go, I muttered. Tears coming to me far too easily now since the dam had broken in August. Horning in on my business again. Always eager to help. You're in deep trouble now, Abigail. So it stands to reason I want to assist in pulling your honey out of the fire. Okay. If you were here, what would I ask you? I am here. Of course you are, darling. What the hell am I going to do? I'm going up against the American government. I've gone rogue, exactly like Thomas Arlington thought I might. That was the circumstances he gave you orders to kill me and take this. I tapped the starry side of my head. And I never did. No, you never did. Despite the fact that you put yourself in danger time and time again, any other agent would have just done as they were told. For the safety of everyone. Yeah. You defied those orders. You overrode them and looked for a solution. You did what you always do. Which is? The right thing. As I said this, she did not respond. But I could feel her looking at me. So how do I do that? What is right, here and now? I glanced up. The afternoon sun was streaming through the window, illuminating her from behind, and at the same time breaking through the edge of her cheek. Because when I think hard about what I could do here, 
it comes down to a choice between handing over this ability to White, helping him close these doorways, shutting us off again, cauterizing the earth, isolating our population permanently, and not doing that. After all, it's not a bad thing he wants. Not really. Just to protect our species. It's just that I have this feeling that we, I mean all of us, are on the edge of something immense right now. A huge push into the unknown. And I feel like we could be more than what we are. More than what we could be alone. I don't want us to be alone. I don't want the reason we remain alone to be fear. His fear. I sat on the bed, feeling a blush of shame. I feel good about the person I am when I defy that fear. But why does this act of defiance feel selfish? Why do I feel like I'm taking everyone's lives in my hands and making an enormous decision on their behalf? Because you are. Because I am. And I don't have much choice in the matter. White didn't put this to a democratic vote. It didn't go through the NIA. And it didn't come from the White House. He has the authority afforded him by a dead president, who may not have been thinking right when he granted this power. Do you think White is crazy? Yeah, I do. I think the decision he's reached is one sane and rational people could come to. But that doesn't mean he himself is sane and rational. And it frightens me what he will do with this power if he takes it from me. Because let's face it, he's almost certainly going to kill me to get it. Right? You're hard to kill. Even I couldn't manage it. And don't think I didn't try her still now, I murmured, examining my hands and feeling the surge of protective energy flow around them. So I'll ask again, what's right in this case? Do I give myself up? Or do I keep running? I mean, what would you do? I would die trying to protect the right people. I know you would, honey. And doesn't the fact that I did that tell you a little something about how much I also trust your judgment? Her voice was soothing, loving. So maybe you already know what the right thing to do is. You died protecting James, too. I wish he were here. Maybe together we could figure this out. There was a long silence in the room. What's dying like? I asked softly. Best I could describe it would be going to sleep and waking up at the same time. And we carry on. You're really here? You're not just some trick of my brain? Charlotte continued to exist. You wouldn't have that eye without her direct guidance. But that was different. 
she and I didn't have a conversation in the same way as we are here. Prove you're real. Tell me something only Annie would say. I'm worried about Butler. He's not doing so great right now. And I can't reach him. No, you Claude. I'm worried about Butler. And I'm the one who can't reach him. Now tell me something unique to Annie Oakley. I can't. Because everything you know about me is in your head. You're impossible, Gray. You can't tanker us pain in the ass. Yeah, you'd say that. I found myself laughing and crying at the same time. Then what does it really matter whether I'm me or some shard of your brain that you've picked to argue with because nobody else is around? to indulge you. It matters because I have shit for brains. Because if you're me, I'll probably end up making another wrong decision and get someone I love killed. She was silent. Because I love you, Annie. I admitted, my whole body shaking. I love you so goddamn much. For everything you were, and everything you still are. In my head, in everyone else's head. What am I? A truly good person. Come over here. What? You want me to die? No. Over to the window. Dummy. I obligingly moved around the bed to stand at the hotel window, overlooking the snowy field and the new Confederate army. Tents and temporary barracks awaiting reinforcements. Soldiers freezing their asses off and preparing for battle. We're never going to stop fighting one another, are we? Annie's shade stood to my left. I did not look directly at her. I thought of Frau and how she had defended me so bravely just this morning. I thought of the world of autumn and what our alliance with them might bring. I thought of the rumors surrounding England and who now lived there among the humans. Then I looked back at the men of the southern states. Men whom my own father would have fought alongside some twenty years ago, just gearing up to attack the Yankee army. What would a good person do in the face of all this? And I had my answer. Give us a real good reason to stop fighting. And is that what White is planning to do? Maybe eventually. But I don't know how many men he would gladly kill to get to that point. So what can you do? I can try to do the right thing to get us there with a lot fewer people dying. That sounds like a decent path to an admirable goal. It does, doesn't it? White stepped down the ramp to survey the gathered crowd. 
Silent Company moved up behind him as the ground troops on horseback flanked Thundercloud. Once more, Agent Lee stood behind me, her hand lightly touching my wrist. I gritted my teeth, waiting for the ominous threat of reprisal from White, should anyone in this city attempt to bamboozle his plans. My mind flitted back to Green Hollow and the major bloodbath that was averted with the instigation of a minor one. Terrible things happened when one violently challenged Mr. White, and that made me deeply trepidatious. He picked up the receiver on a familiar voice amplification device, wired up to the loudspeakers on the gondola of the Zeppelin. Greetings to all of you decent, hard-working people of Winchester, he called out, his rich voice reverberating from the walls of the surrounding buildings. I am humbled to be in your presence. Please excuse the ostentatious and frightening armor. I use it to make our enemies soil their drawers. There was a rustle of laughter, betraying relieved tension through the crowd. Allow me to allay your justified fears. The RSA army is still inbound. We are a vanguard. We're only stopping here to reward the best kind of America. The patriotic and helpful kind. He gestured to a burly man carrying a barrel off the zeppelin. Williamson, if you will. The man lowered the barrel to the street, and White tapped it with his right gauntlet. This here is a supply of salted beef, canned peaches, roast peanuts, ammunition, water-purifying tablets, medicine, and candy. It's in these nifty little boxes, protected against the elements and stored in these barrels. I have one barrel for anyone who can give me information as to the location within this city of a lady NIA deserter with bright orange ringlets. If we then find that person with your assistance, there are ten more barrels for that person and their family. I glanced around at the hungry faces, locked on this strange man, as he stood at the steps of his flying machine. In fact, let's open this cornucopia up and share some treats around. Williamson, be a sport. And on this order, Corporal Williamson levered open the lid, reached inside, and began tossing these small treasure boxes out to the crowd, who caught them eagerly, creating quite a clamor. Out there! White shouted, thrusting his finger southwards. It's a disorganized rabble who hate our way of life. Men from Georgia, Alabama, and that ungodly swamp, Mississippi. They would not unify with us, only against us. Such is their determination to be free at any cost. They threw their lot in with Joseph Tremaine, a fraudulent ringmaster of a leader who promised them more than he could ever possibly provide. We are all here today to tell them they cannot take our land. A cry of approval rippled through the crowd. They cannot take our children's food. What continued as the cry intensified. That we stand together as one. That we are so much the stronger for it. And this means we need not fear them. A roar of agreement. White now took his tone down and became more relaxed and approachable. Now you might have heard some scary stories about me. I can assure you that every single one of them is true. 
to the enemies of our reunification war, I am a nightmare that will get so much worse before they eventually give in. But to you I offer aid and support in these dark times. It is all of your efforts which will ensure we will win this conflict, that the rebels will be met with the blinding power of American determination. A young boy had drawn close and was examining White with interest. He had noticed this and waved the lad over. Hello, son. What are you eyeballing here? He handed the receiver to the uncertain child. Uh, your sword? You want to see it? This received a nod, and White gestured to the nearby corporal. Williamson, toss me that barrel lid, would you? After a pause, the soldier obliged. Something very swift occurred. White unsheathed his beautiful katana-saber hybrid, and as the wooden disc sailed through the air, it was cut into three pieces, which fell to the ground at the boy's feet with a clatter. Nobody but me saw the single shining thread of the boy's copper-coloured hair descend gracefully after the trisected wood. There was thunderous applause as the crowd showed their appreciation and awe for this bladed marksmanship. White retrieved the receiver from the now-clapping boy. Is anyone aware whether the journalist known only as Raven is in this city? He's in the Riverlock Hotel! Somebody shouted. White pointed at the man in his brown vest and apron, and Williamson tossed a bag of peanuts that way. All right, now we're moving. Go and fetch him. Within minutes, the half-Iroquois, half-Scottish fellow was escorted to the front of the line. Raven looked past White, straight at me, his eyes accusatory. I shrank inside for a moment before fiercely redoubling my determination and allowing my face to convey exactly what my lips were now mouthing at him. Help us! Raven, at last we meet up close. I've read your words in the Washington Post. Brave material, hard, exploratory, contentious, questioning. You are a credit to your profession. I particularly like the expose you did on me this past October. You left a few gory details out, I assume for discretion's sake. But most of it was fairly on point. Much obliged, Mr. White. I assume you're here because you want me to go on another road trip with this limey portal pusher. No, we're here because his hazard ceiling counterpart has been reported as having come to this city mere hours ago. I suspected she had come straight to you for assistance in hiding her. No idea what you're babbling about. I was well into writing my next book when you saw fit to have me disturbed. Let's not waste one another's time here, said White, quietly now, laying two fingers lightly upon the hilt of his currently sheathed blade. I could take your right hand from you, just as you described happening to poor, uncooperative Maurice Fisher. I'd learned to write with my left. You didn't let me finish. With the tiniest of efforts, I could also take your left. A messy, screamy affair I don't think either of us wants to bear witness to. If you take my hands, said Raven, shrugging a cigarette out of a wrinkled packet in his coat, clenching it between his teeth and lighting it with a match. I will shove a pen up my ass and continue writing that way. 
It is, after all, mightier than your sword, even if it is wedged in my cornhole. That is a barrage of imagery I didn't want in my head. But none of that will be necessary. White turned to Captain Ozu. Search the hotel. Go room to room. Please, Captain. Don't upset any of the patrons unduly. And if you find her, send up a signal flare, and I will come on in after you. He turned back to the journalist as the men drew away. I respect your integrity, Mr. Raven, and I am grateful for it. However, the truth is that we are going to find her without your cooperation. It's just going to be messier as a result. People may be hurt. Even though we're going to attempt to prevent that, if there are injuries, you will tend to those who suffered. If there are deaths, you are going to bury them. Well, if I were a powerful, significant leader like you, I'd personally be a little cautious about flying in on my balloon. Essentially a giant RSA flag. Half a mile north of a new Confederate army, with itchy cannon fingers, and then overtly reminding them about the rocket's red glare. At this, White glanced past Raven's shoulder, far across over the field, to catch the glint of a telescope. While most of Thundercloud was obscured by south-facing buildings, including the hotel, portions of it could very likely be seen from over there. Looks like I may end up burying quite a few today. Tick-tock. 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 You have been listening to episode 8 of Uncivil Outlaw, The Visitor, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Mr. White, James Penrose, and Raven, performed by Alex Shaw. Shade, performed by Loretta Saylor. Redheaded Child, performed by Lyra Shaw. And Bart, performed by Chris Chipman. Fantastic Dim Bar, Dragon and Toast, and The Descent, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Cowgirl Soldier, specially composed by Gil Haim Steinberg. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. I have donated to two charity funds connected with Black Lives Matter. There is Black Minds Matter, based in the UK, which is an organisation that connects black clients with black therapists, including providing financial support. These are two groups who, respectively, have a much tougher time being able to find mental health support and being able to attain the qualifications to practice due to the currently unfair system. And there is the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Colour Fund. This US-based charity provides direct support, mutual aid and reparations. I have specifically focused on some of the most vulnerable and often most ignored members of society here. 
Sharon has also donated to the Black Journalists Therapy Relief Fund, which is financing mental health support for black journalists covering the BLM demonstrations. Throughout at least July and August 2020 and what remains of June, every single penny I make from sales of the New Century Multiverse audiobooks on Bandcamp will be donated by me to those above-mentioned charities. So if you've been holding back on buying these, any that you pick up this summer will have the proceeds going to some very good causes. And all the links to these can be found pinned to the top of both of my Twitter accounts. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Hui, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosansky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chisholm.